0: God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Let us pray. Almighty God, we thank you for your word today, and we ask now that you would take your word and renew us, refresh us, change us, correct us. We pray that your word would have its way in our lives. In Jesus' name. Amen. How many of you are familiar with the old TV show, The Lone Ranger? Okay, so about 50-50. The Lone Ranger is a pretty simple uh, show. It's basically got the exact same story every single show. Every single show, there's usually a shot out in the distance somewhere. And as the shot rings out as something is being robbed, on the scene, just happened to be riding by on their horse, is a man with a mask. The masked man usually arrives and the people at the scene usually say, What do you want? Are you the one that's robbing us or seeking to harm us? Well, it ends up being that this is the Lone Ranger, the masked man. This masked man actually isn't there to do harm. This masked man is actually there to bring justice and to do good. And so the show continues by this masked man kind of entering into the community and helping find the criminals. But whenever the masked man arrives and throughout the show, everybody's a little bit confused. Is this masked man here to help or is this masked man one of the robbers? Well, at the end of the show, it always becomes clear. He's here to help. And every show ends exactly the same way. Everybody's kind of standing around celebrating the good that happened. Usually the town sheriff is right there and the masked man, the lone ranger, is there. And everybody's kind of talking. As they're talking, they turn to the sheriff and they say, Well, who is this man? And as the question is being asked, the Lone Ranger just kind of sneaks away and rides away on the horse, and the sheriff always responds, it's the Lone Ranger. See, the Lone Ranger had the appearance of evil, had the appearance of questionable, but the Lone Ranger came and did good, and nobody knew his identity. They always wonder, who is this? This question, what is his identity? This question, who is this, is the exact same question that was being asked 2000 years ago on what we've called Palm Sunday. We think of Palm Sunday as a cute little Sunday school story where there's a guy riding a donkey and all of the kids are lining up the street waving palms. This is anything but a cute event. It's not anything it's not an orchestrated church event. This is not an event where children were standing on the streets and they were receiving candy from a nice man. Palm Sunday was a political mob. It was a mob that had gathered around that was hungry for something different. They wanted to be freed from Roman oppression. And they knew that there was a man coming who had power. This man, who we read earlier in John chapter 12, had been said to raise someone from the dead. And so a lot of the crowd knew that, hey, there's a guy coming who's raised someone from the dead. This man could help us. So what do they do? They go out on the street and they welcome him like he's the king. Yet many of them have no idea who he is. It says as much in Matthew chapter 21. In Matthew's account of Palm Sunday, it finishes by saying, and many in the crowd said, who is this man? They had no idea who they were dealing with. This was a political mob that did not have clarity on the who that was coming, but they did have clarity on what they wanted. They wanted a hero. They wanted a king that could save them. That's why they were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is the king of Israel. That's why they were laying down clothes on the road. Why? Because it was royalty coming. They wanted this person to be their king. I was talking to a daycare teacher this last week and the daycare teacher was getting ready to teach stuff at their church this coming Sunday and was telling me a story about when they had done Palm Sunday in one of their classes before and the teacher said they were asking the kids to reenact the story, wave the palm branches and get all excited. So the teacher was doing the story and she looked over and all of a sudden there's a couple of boys taking their clothes off and laying them on the street thing. And she's thinking, whoa, 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 slow down thing, stop thing. It's actually a pretty good, accurate description of what was happening because they were so desperate for a king. They were so desperate for someone who had the power to help them. They were laying all of their garments on the road saying, come this way. We know you can help. Come, save us. But they had no idea who was on that donkey. See, this is a political mob that's gathering together and it's actually a political mob that's a little bit comical. Because the leaders of the city, not the religious leaders, but the political leaders are probably sitting back going, oh, what is going on down in Precinct 13? There's reports of a guy on a donkey? And the guy in the donkey is going to help? I mean, the political leaders, the military leaders had to be sitting there going, if this guy had any power and any authority, he would be on a horse. And not only would he be on a horse, but he'd have his army behind him. They just kind of dispelled it. Oh, we're not going to deal with this. And so we don't see any political movement from the Roman leaders to dispel Jesus until what? The religious leaders ask them to. Because the religious leaders, not the crowd, the religious leaders have inside information on who's on that donkey. They know that things are beginning to match up with prophecy that they're aware of. They know that there's this prophecy of somebody coming in on a donkey and palms being waved. So they're afraid. So the religious leaders have an idea of the who, the crowd doesn't know who, and the political leaders definitely don't know who they're dealing with on that donkey. Basically, the crowd simply knew this. We want victory. That's all they wanted. They wanted victory. Palms Are a symbol of victory. If you turn to Revelation chapter 7, you don't have to look there now, but in Revelation 7, verse 9, it talks about palms being waved as a symbol that the Lamb has been victorious. Palm branches are a symbol that there's there's been political or there's been military victory. And so when they're waving palm branches, these people are just saying, Yes, we're going to have victory. Our king is here. This morning, you're not waving palm branches. And you're not a political mob anywhere, but I think in your heart of hearts, you're yearning for a hero. In your heart of hearts, you're just like that crowd. I'm just like that crowd. I want victory. I want purpose in life. I want someone who's going to come and give me success. We all want victory in life. The question is, who do we look to for that victory? Or what do we look to for that victory? This crowd was looking to a man on the donkey. And now we get the benefit of looking at it from a long time after we know who the man on the donkey is. So this morning we want to look at, who is this man on the donkey? and how is it that we can have victory and who is it that brings us victory? So Lincoln, in First Peter chapter, I mean, sorry, Philippians chapter two, we get a clear picture of who this man is. If you're taking notes this morning, just on your note sheet, make a big V. Right in the middle of your note sheet, just make a big V. That is going to kind of be our point of, who is this man on the donkey? It's described by V, victorious. And it starts in verse 6 of Philippians chapter 2. Who is this man? Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. This man who's being talked about in Philippians chapter 2, is God himself. Or in other words, this man was in the throne room of heaven. This is where the story of Jesus begins. The story of Jesus does not begin with Mary. The story of Jesus begins in the throne room of heaven. For Jesus himself is fully divine. And as it says here in Philippians chapter 2, he was in the form God. Or in other words, he had the appearance and he had the substance of God. So Jesus begins in the throne room of heaven. Nobody in that crowd that day at the palm branches had any idea that on that very donkey was riding the very person who created the whole universe. He started in the throne room of heaven. But it doesn't end there. This next phrase in verse 6 it says, Did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Or, in other words, it's saying that Jesus did not hold on to that divinity. Jesus did not hold on to that right to stay in the throne room. It was Jesus' right to stay in the throne room of heaven. This is where the dive takes place. This is where the countercultural move takes place. This is where the move of no other king happens. You see, most other kings do what? Use their position of power to achieve victory. If you are a, a super being, Superman or, or Batman, what do you use to accomplish victory? Your superpowers, right? None of those super beings that are like, well, you know, what? I'm going to set aside my power and then we'll get victory. Jesus sets aside his power. And so here he takes the dive. He leaves the throne of heaven. And as it says then in verse 7 through 8, it says, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So Jesus leaves the throne of heaven for the cross. Jesus doesn't just leave the throne of heaven and say, hey, I'm going to go and mingle a little bit and kind of see what it's like down there. Jesus dives fully in. As it says in Hebrews chapter 2, he had to become one of us to be the sacrifice for us. So Jesus doesn't just leave the throne of God. You know how some presidents, when they kind of go to towns or a dignitary comes and they want to they kind of go down where the, where the problems are? What do they do? send security teams in advance, and then when they go, they take security with them. And they kind of keep always a hand's distance. Maybe just for a couple of pictures, they'll do a couple bowls of soup and then move on. What does Jesus do? Jesus fully enters in to the worst of the worst. He takes on human flesh so that he can experience exactly what it's like to be a human And then he goes to the worst place possible for a human, the cross. The cross was the place where the Roman government put the worst of the worst. Nobody even uses that form of execution anymore. Why? Because it's so barbaric. Jesus goes to that point, leaves the throne to go to the worst of the worst. This is the mindset of Jesus. This is the mindset of a completely different king, of how they're going to achieve victory. How do they achieve victory? By leaving the throne of heaven, going to the cross, and then the key word in the passage, verse 9. Therefore, therefore God has highly exalted him. So because Jesus went to the cross, because Jesus died on our behalf, then it says, as a result of that humiliation, Jesus is then exalted. Exalted. Jesus is put back in a place of authority, so he leaves the cross and he goes to the throne of heaven and earth. This is critical to realize. Before the resurrection, Jesus is not referred to as king of heaven and earth. He's referred to as king of heaven. After his exaltation, he's given a brand new title. Jesus is Lord. And it says here in Philippians chapter 2 that every knee should bow. Where? On heaven and on earth and under the earth. He's been given complete, full authority of everything. It's because humiliation leads to exaltation. Complete backwards thinking from the way of the world, right? How do you want to get great in the world? You don't humiliate yourself. You don't become the worst of the worst, but Jesus says the pathway to greatness is completely different, and Jesus leads the way by taking that pathway. Who was on that donkey? On that donkey was the very one who created the universe. He came from the throne of heaven, rode that donkey, and then went all the way to the cross, and after the cross, he returned to the throne of heaven but he wasn't just given authority in heaven he was given authority on earth as well. Look with me from Philippians chapter 2 of how it describes the authority that he has. At the name of Jesus every knee should bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. In other words Jesus is king. It's exactly what that crowd wanted. They wanted a king. They wanted someone who had the authority to help them. They just didn't realize the way Jesus would take to help them. We get the benefit of looking at it afterwards and seeing the pathway that Jesus took to victory. Who is this man? This man is the God-man. God himself taking on the form of humanity. And this God-man is now has full authority over everything. So what's our response to the God-man? What if we said, this is our king, Jesus is our king, the one who left the throne of heaven, who died on the cross. He's the king of the world. What if we personally said today, he is my king? What should our life look like if Jesus is our king? Well, Philippians chapter 2 actually is built on this idea of exhorting us or encouraging us in light of this truth about who Jesus is. It's basically saying this, because Jesus is this, you should be this. And that this is found in verse 4. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. In other words, he's saying, if Jesus is your king, you're going to follow the example of Jesus. Verse 5 emphasizes it even more. It says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Maybe your translation says, Have this attitude. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. So what it's saying is, if, If Jesus is king, and the type of king that Jesus is, is one that doesn't stay on the throne, but humbles himself, you and I should have that exact same attitude. That attitude and that mindset is one of saying, others first. Not my needs, but others' needs. So what would it look like to have a little attitude adjustment? Maybe you've used that phrase with your kids before, or someone used that phrase with you before. Hey, it's time to adjust your attitude a little bit. Well, what would it look like if our attitudes got adjusted a little bit? Well, think of the mindset of Jesus for a second. He's at the throne of heaven. So heaven, what we know of heaven, gold, gold, silver. We also know that there's angels 24-7 just worshiping around the throne. That's what Jesus has got going on. Pretty good life. What does Jesus do? I'll set aside all of that privilege for the good of someone else. And he doesn't just set aside the privilege, but then he takes the opposite of privilege. He takes penalty and punishment so for you and I to have the attitude of Christ, it actually looks like this. Setting aside good things for the sake of other people. So for example, everybody in here has full control of their calendar. You decide what you're spending your time on. There's good stuff that we can enjoy. There's athletic events that we can enjoy. There's hobbies that are, that are good things. But if we're going to have the attitude of Christ, Sometimes we have to say, you know what? I'm going to give up this good thing so someone else can have a God thing. A Christ-like attitude is willing to set aside personal privilege and personal right for the good of another person. So for example, maybe this next week over your lunch break, instead of reading a book, maybe that's what you normally do, you invite someone in your office to go to lunch with you who no one else takes to lunch. Is it your right to read a book during lunch? Absolutely. There's nothing wrong with reading a book during lunch. But the attitude of Christ is this. I'm going to set aside that good thing in order to benefit someone else. Maybe this summer you say, you know what? I'm not going to worry about my lawn being perfect. So I'm going to set aside my lawn and give that time to help someone else in need. Is there anything wrong with a good lawn? Absolutely not. But maybe you just give up that good thing for the sake of someone else. For all of us, it would look a little bit different. But are we willing to have that attitude, that mindset, where we set aside something good in order that someone else can get a God thing? It's exactly what Jesus did. Jesus set aside personal privilege and took on personal punishment for your sake and my sake. And here's the crazy thing of the whole deal. He gets exalted afterwards. So there's a blessing here. You know, you can hear this morning, you can hear the command, like, oh my goodness, Pastor, you're asking me to give up one time fertilizing my lawn. Do you know what you're asking? You know, so we, we, think, we hear the command, we, we think it's such a burden. Well, at the same time as you hear the command, hear the blessing. That there's exaltation afterwards. That if you want to be great in the sight of God, what do you have to do? You have to be humble like God himself is. There's exaltation after the humiliation. There's nothing wrong with saying, I want to be great. The question is, what pathway do you take to get there? God never says, hey, don't be great. I mean, you don't want to be great. That's a bad thing. No, no. God gets after you when you choose a different path to the greatness. Very clearly, the Apostle Paul is saying, your mindset should be the same of Jesus Christ. The mindset of Jesus Christ was one of setting aside personal privilege for personal punishment so that someone else can benefit. This morning, do you need an attitude adjustment? Do you need an attitude adjustment that puts others before yourself? How many of your parents have ever thought about forcefully giving your child an attitude adjustment it's okay to be honest nobody's calling anyone here thing some of you are either you're way better parents than i am thing or you're not being honest thing right i mean there's just those moments when what it's all about them and it's all about them when what they even have everything it's still all about them And that's when you say you need a little bit of attitude adjustment here so that you can look a little bit beyond yourself for the sake of the other. This morning, I'd encourage you, I'm not endorsing physically creating that um, attitude adjustment thing. There's an amazing mystery. The creator of the universe has the power and the authority that if he wanted to, could just create that attitude adjustment within us. But he does not. For whatever reason, God does not. That's why the exhortation is there in Scripture. It says, hey, it's right before you. You've seen what Jesus has done. The question is, are you going to be willing to adjust your attitude yourself? This morning, every one of us is looking for a hero. I'm here to tell you, your hero has already arrived. Your hero has been victorious. Because he set aside his personal privilege and took your personal punishment. This next week is usually called Holy Week. I'd encourage you this next week to call it Week of Victory. That's actually what we're remembering. We're remembering how our King brought us victory. It's a week to be victorious. And we celebrate that we are victorious because of what Jesus Christ has done on our behalf. And now the question is, will we be victorious in our living? To be victorious in our living is to have the same attitude of Jesus Christ who conquered on our behalf. Most people saw the Lone Ranger and they saw a criminal. Most people look at Jesus And they see a consultant or a counselor or Santa Claus. Jesus is none of the three. And when Jesus was on that donkey, nobody in that crowd was saying, yes, a counselor is here. Nobody in that crowd was saying, oh, Santa Claus is here, gifts. Everybody in that crowd was saying, a king has arrived. One who can save us. When you see Jesus, you don't think king. Just like when you look at the Lone Ranger, you don't think good guy. But Jesus is a king because he comes from the throne of heaven and goes to the cross on our behalf and then returns to the throne of heaven and has power over heaven and earth. This morning, would you like to have victory? If you would like to have victory, I'd encourage you, to look to the one who's been victorious on our behalf, Jesus Christ. Let's go forth and experience victory this next week as we put other people's needs before our own, following the example of our King. Enjoy your week of victory, not because of what you've done, but because of what Jesus has come and done on our behalf. Let's go and be victorious. Let us pray. Almighty God, we thank you We thank you that you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to take the punishment that each of us was due. And God, we ask now that you would renew our hearts and our minds, that you would create in us the same selfless attitude. Lord, we pray that this morning you would enable each of us to look to Jesus as our king. God, thank you for what you have done. I pray that you'd create in us submissive hearts to you today. And I pray this next week, God, right now I ask that you would lay something practical on each person's heart or mind, something that they can specifically do for someone else. I pray that you would create in each person a hunger and a desire to lay aside personal privilege for the sake of another person. God, thank you for your humility. Create that in us now. In Jesus' name, amen.